0: At this point I knew that I had a Zoom meeting that was scheduled with the director and the executive producer on the Monday. And then on the Saturday morning my British agent called me and I said, Darling, this Marvel thing. It's like, Oh yeah, 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 it's um I've got my i my meeting on Monday, I'm very excited. Yes, well, darling, they've offered it to you, so like, What? Are you are you f- Kidding me? And <laughs> I sort of went into a state of shock as he sort of explained the particulars for a few minutes. And then I hung up, and about 10 seconds later, he called back to, It's me again, darling, just to let you know that conversation did just happen, <laughs> and you'll be flying to Atlanta.
1: Hello there and welcome to another episode of An Irishman Abroad with me, Jarlith Regan. Well, what a treat it is to get to sit down with Fra Fee, the award-winning actor, singer and musician. This Christmas, he put in a scene-stealing performance as Cassie in the Disney Plus series Hawkeye. Set in the Marvel Universe, the series is as big as it gets in terms of big-budget action. But Fra's love affair with acting, performance and entertainment couldn't have begun in a smaller more lo-fi setting the local Amdram Society in Dungannon, County Tyrone where he grew up. As he explains here, Fra fell in love with the stage as a toddler, helping his father out as he took part in and staged some of the world's most beloved pieces and I loved getting to find out how this urge to leave and spread his wings grew when he headed off the University of Manchester and the Royal Academy of Music. That's kind of what binds our episodes together is that urge to go and be more. And the thing that comes across time and time again isn't just that love for the work with Fra, but it's the man's work ethic, as you'll hear here. Even from a quick squint at his Wikipedia page, it'll tell you that This man has done so much in such a short period of time, it's extraordinary. But it's actually only through talking to him that you come to understand how much he enjoys preparing for his roles, whether it's on stage in The Ferryman or Les Mis or on screen in movies like Animals and Pixie. To hear the full conversation with Fra, it's simple. Head to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad and become a supporter of this crowdfunded podcast or download the Patreon app. A couple of clicks and you're all set to go. Well, here it is. It's the Fra Fee episode of An Irish Man Abroad.
0: That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they have learned to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works.
2: I moved over here, and immediately I had to up my game.
1: I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here.
2: i don't an Irish upbringing.
1: Twenty years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. Fraffy, it's fantastic to have you on Irishman Abroad and uh, the second I picked up the call to you, I just there's just such an air of relaxation about you. Have I got that right? Have <laughs> I gauged that right? Are you in a very relaxed place right now?
0: You're very, very intuitive. Yes. I recently as a result of the pandemic moved with my boyfriend to the countryside so we now live in a completely absurdly idyllic little town in South Oxfordshire and it's yeah my life our lives have just been completely redesigned in the most wonderful wonderful way and to have left the big smoke you know where I lived very much in the centre I was in London Bridge for about 12 years to it's such an absurdly different environment. It is. You
1: uh, lived in London Bridge. That's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like the rent must have been huge. But that is the do, do real you know pick what, of it.
0: <laughs> do you know what? Actually, I was in a very, very um, fortunate position where the, the landlady hadn't changed the price in many, many years, which I was very, very grateful for. Uh, it was sort of a unique situation. Yeah. Um, and I and I did love it. And I still do love London. But I think just that, you know, getting older and as I said, it, it was very much a direct result of what was going on in the world. We initially went to stay with my boyfriend's friend in a different little village in South Oxfordshire. And when we realized how easy it was to get out of London on the train and there are fields and space and yet it's so accessible to the city when you need to go. We just thought, let's give this a go, you know, mm. maybe for a year or whatever. And now being here, it's it's like we're we're not going back. We're, Isn't we're it so funny?
1: Confessed. It's so funny yeah. that so many of our decisions from two years ago were essentially FOMO based, that you were there in the center of it all because you believed I couldn't be anywhere else for fear I might miss out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there was also an idea and it it might still be the same for actors sort of starting off. But I certainly remember being told, well, you need, you need to be in London. You need to be in London. You need to be right there. You need to be able to...
1: Available at you know, all go times.
0: To, <laughs> available at all times. Like, <laughs> like, an edition like comes first. It, it's, sort of, it, it's sort of absurd. Yeah. Um, and things have changed, you know, COVID or not, uh, with the, the, the first stages of most editions take place on tape anyway, and you can do it from the comfort of, of your own home. But I it was also chatting to, like... Um, a few actor mates, like older actors that I admire, Ciaran Hines comes to mind, and you know that like he he actually lives in France with his family, mm. and it's just God, like you can really, you can just be the choose to to be where you're happy, you know, like a, you shouldn't feel a pressure to just be in the thick of it at all times if it's not actually exactly what you want, and I thought that London was what I wanted, but you know. So, Serendipitously, or whatever, we find ourselves here, and actually have this sense of oh, it's actually a lot. My 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 inner clock is so much slower and chilled, and it's actually a lovely way to be. Yeah. So that's how we find ourselves here, and it's um, it's delightful.
1: I wonder when London became where you wanted to be, because clearly when. If anyone even took a cursory look at your Wikipedia or your biog, it's obvious that you knew you wanted to act from a very early age. But I doubt that, you know, London was in the reckoning at the very start when you were backstage prompting people their lines in, uh, <laughs> in the Amdram.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, you're referring to my dad there <laughs> who uh, was sort of terrible with his line learning and you just hear this little voice of like an eight-year-old boy <laughs> from, be- from behind the cardboard set quoting Brian Free onto the stage very quite a precocious little fucker <laughs> I was,
2: like,
0: um, but uh, yeah I mean there was a, there was always a a a need to to sort of get out of Northern Ireland for several reasons I'd say the wanting to perform thing was was up there for sure but I really just there was a real need to to escape what felt like quite an oppressive place to live for for a gay man and for for a gay boy a young fella Mm -hmm. certainly at that time that I was there and by all accounts, I believe it's changed considerably, which is wonderful. But I, yeah, I, I really couldn't wait to get out of there. I, I desperately needed a little bit of anonymity in order to uh, feel as though I could express myself properly and have the confidence to come out and all of those things. So actually, my first my first uh, sort of departure was to Manchester, where I went to uni. I did a music degree there.
1: Before we get into part, the partly because, I'd imagine if everything you've just described, landing in Manchester and arriving at your digs or wherever you stayed, the feeling of freedom must have been just otherworldly.
0: Oh, mate, big time. I always think of my ma when I think of that day because she held in her tears <laughs> until, until her and my dad, you know, drove back to the boat, which, of course, has now regaled me with just how oh. distraught she was which is so, so heartbreaking, you know, (laughs) because of course they dumped off all of the duvets and the clean pillows and all of your stuff. And then I'm like, I said, well, I'm just going to be hanging out now with my, with my new cool flatmates. (laughs) (laughs) You guys want to head on back to the boat? (laughs) Yeah, there was, it was really terrifying, but also, but also I was literally counting down the days until I could, until it happened. Mm. Um, it was extremely, extremely exciting.
1: Was it uh, what you imagined? Because in so many ways, look, I can identify in a big way with the sense of small town Ireland, and you know, so many of our writers, and you know, the great literary tradition of Ireland and artistic tradition of Ireland is based around what we're kind of hinting at here in this sense of over the garden fence, not having your own privacy, not having your own freedom. That, you know, that's what pushed me to leave. That's what pushed so many people to leave. And there, there probably is a first flush of freedom where you're like, God, nobody knows me. Yeah. <laughs> and then
0: absolutely. And,
1: and and then there's obviously a bit of a dip or was, or was that the case for you?
0: Oh, it's, um, it it's sort of hard to sort of go back to exactly what was going on in my wee head. It was, it was such a melting pot of, of various things. As I said, you know, the, the small town mindset, although I'm sure I often slagged it off and was very critical, retrospectively, when I look back, where, where I grew up was really, really lovely. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the literary tradition and stuff. I was so spoilt with with the culture around me, the cultural landscape. The arm drum is a huge thing in Ireland. And it's really good as well. Like they, do, mm-hmm. they do Pinter and Brian Freel and Beckett. You know, it like doesn't it's, lack it's ambition, really that's
1: ha- for sure, yeah.
0: <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> you know, but it's so even at a young age to be, exposed to, to to stuff like that outside of your normal schooling and in your little town land is is sort of extraordinary when you when you think about it. And I I suspect that's why a lot of people you know choose to move back because they realise oh actually that it was sort of wonderful. But yeah my, my my need for for escape was primarily down to my sexuality and, and not really having um, not feeling it as though well. I would have the courage to do it if I stayed at home, which is absolutely true. And then yeah, so when I got to Manchester, it wasn't like right here we go, I'm going to straight down to Canal Street. And you know, I didn't actually I didn't actually come out for a full year after. Um, because I you know, I was still sort of figuring stuff out and I'm surrounded by all these very, very exciting, new and interesting people and I was sort of tr- firstly just trying to find where I fit in ultimately and not and that sort of melting pot of, of different people. But, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a big deal. It was a very big deal for sure.
1: There's, there isn't a person that went to university from a country town in Ireland, whether at home or abroad, who can't relate to that first period, right, of well, who the hell am I? And these characters that you're running into who seem to have such a clear idea of who they I know. are. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's like, where is this confidence coming from? And like, they seem to be, you know, defined characters in a movie that they were starring in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're totally right. I have these like, distinct memories of of several of the characters that I... I studied music with because they dressed so interestingly, but like with such confidence. And I'm still there like with my wee hoodies and jeans from Ireland, like oh, fuck, I'm, I'm not a very impressive or interesting person at all. <laughs> you know, they really seem to have such a clear cut idea. And I, you know, I reckon I probably... Was trying to like assimilate myself into some sort of group, that mm-hmm. you know, started smoking a lot of weed because I thought that that would be, maybe be like a, an identity thing. Sure, um, you know, which uh, which which is um, common enough, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I eventually sort of found my footing, I think.
1: And and what was that footing? I mean, obviously, it's it's this first stepping stone towards where we meet you now and there's Mm. obviously been some forks in the road along that journey that we'll get to but at that point i'm always interested in asking people where did you picture yourself or what was it to you at that point what was success
0: i had spent so much uh, so much of my life up until that point training and sort of bettering myself at music and, and art and things, almost to a, a slightly obsessive degree, sort of looking back. And of course, I'm very grateful to, to my parents for what they were able to offer me and bringing me to lessons and everything. But I guess, uh, and I knew, that, I knew that was what I wanted to do, but I, I, I had no idea the specificity of what that was. Mm. You know, and I'd spent so much sort of training my singing voice and I, and I really did love to sing and love but I love going to you know see my dad and plays and everything and there was just I, I, I really didn't know the concrete solution as to where I placed all of these quite so, sort of broad things and I, you know I played the flute as well, you know and the university thing, the reason why I actually chose to do music and not go straight into a drama school was, I I just wasn't completely sure if I was cut out for it, and I had a, a fairly sure idea that drama schools were extremely intense institutions. You know, judging from watching Fame, of course, as my whole um, <laughs> spectrum of reference to be honest. <laughs> but I was like, that's a, that looks really really intense. I'm not sure that's for me. So I wanted to do the, a degree where I knew there was only going to be a certain number of hours, tuition, you know, um, lectures, and I could just meet friends and have a good time and sort of figure everything out. And when when I was at uni, I, I just discovered properly for the first time a, a different type of musical theatre that I hadn't been privy to before when I was doing arm drama at home or... And it was through the through Stephen Sondheim, who actually just recently passed away at the age of ninety-one,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that was when I was like, oh god, actually maybe I can maybe I could merge these interests of mine. You know, I re- I really like to act, and I really like to sing, and I really love to tell a story, and I love this type of storytelling, and this challenges me in a way that you know playing Kurt in the sound of music didn't. <laughs> and uh, so th- that was the Done doing those shows at uni, made me realize. Oh, actually, I think this is, and if for a first instance of what to do afterward, I'm going to focus on this thing. Mm. And I'm not sure if I would have figured that out necessarily if if I hadn't done those shows in Manchester, because I really, I really didn't have a clear cut idea at all. And for a while, I thought I would maybe be a choral conductor because really? I, I, yeah because I loved singing in choirs and I loved choral music and I thought I was quite good at conducting and I really admired this guy, Tim Reese Evans, who was the um, conductor of youth opera whenever I was a teenager in Belfast. And I just thought he was so charismatic and wonderful and loved music. And I said, well, well maybe I could be like him. You know, and then I thought, oh well, maybe i do be a classical singer because people have told me that I'm quite good at that. And it's mad to think you know this—the this sliding doors thing. Like, what what would have happened if I just decided to pursue either one of those things? Because I I, I know i found found um, my place, or I feel as if i found my place, and I guess that's ultimately success. You know, or, or I feel very content in what I'm doing at at the moment.
1: It is crazy, though, isn't it? Like, like I, yeah. I think I've referenced this before on the show that uh, if you'd gotten the The wrong or the right compliment in one of those moments, you could have gone down one of those paths. Like I talk about Jonah Hill before, that he was Mm. wanted to be a director all the time, but wound up going to an acting class to see if he could learn how to motivate actors, (laughs) was given a compliment, and went on this diversion down the acting route. What light bulb moment was there, though, for you to? oh no this is it this truly is it because obviously there is a talent within you for uh, to guide like when you talk about teaching two hours at different drama schools during lockdown mm. and like when i see you light up talking about that and how much joy you extracted from that i definitely think that that would have been a great path for you mm. but equally there must have been a light bulb or a a feeling that you got at some point that told you, "No, this is it. This is what I want to do."
0: Yeah, I'm sure there were a few, and I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're talking about. Um, you mentioned teaching because it still continues to be something that
1: you're still doing it.
0: It's such a yeah, absolutely. I love to, to go into drama schools and and do master classes, and you know fill in for teachers or whatever. Living out in the countryside now makes it a little bit more difficult to to do it on a regular basis. Yeah, but even you know, even you know, teaching students in Zoom and stuff, which actually works out very well. I don't think I could survive without us. There's a sharing that I guess is is similar to collaborating on a, a theatre show and dissecting stuff. You know. You know, by our pupils we are taught, right? Is the is the phrase mm-hmm. and it, it genuinely is that for me. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny, you know, your syndicals are you like bold moments as to <laughs> because actually even when I when I think about it, you know, I'm i could have done things differently and I mean, granted, if I decided to become a choral conductor, <laughs> it's cu- it's quite a diversion. I'm not sure if I would have found my way uh, <laughs> to to acting, but um, it was it was genuinely doing quite a few Stephen Sondheim shows at university. I played George, and Sunday in the park with George, we did Company, and we did a few other shows, uh, not by him, but Candide. He sort of did some of the lyrics for it. It's a Leonard Bernstein show, and mm. and. You know, I, I knew that I was responding to this material in a way that I hadn't responded to, to maybe anything else before that, yeah. uh, including you know classical singing. Like classical singing, although I very very much enjoyed it, it's it's totally to do with the beauty of the sound and the aesthetic of the sound, and that and that's beautiful, of course. And there's a there's such a um, significant. Thing about um, of just being able to pro- produce that and to train really well to make a beautiful sound, like it's a it's a really incredible thing. But it was the it was the storytelling element of of marrying this incredible music to lyrics that were so astoundingly human and profound and real that I had never experienced before.
2: Hmm.
0: And that that was if That was a light bulb moment, and, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily just one little moment in time. It was it was ex- discovering these these pieces that I was completely unaware of, and partic- in particular this composer lyricist. And I thought, well, if if musicals have the capacity to do that, then that's what I want to devote my life to, and. Yeah. As it ha- as it happened, as it transpired, you know, um, I I have done lots of other different things, which I'm so thrilled about, and I I don't think I would be content not having a quite a diverse range of things that I do. But that was the that was the reason why I became an actor because mm-hmm. I it was just such a powerful discovery. Realizing what what this what these songs could do, this type of storytelling, I, I just I had no idea.
1: That when, it when you say what it can do, are you referring to the impact it has on an audience?
0: I'm referring to b- both that. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure Sondheim would 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 say that he writes to entertain, uh, but that's ultimately the purpose of of musical entertainment, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a commercial commodity, etc. But what it did to me as a, as a performer, it, it just made sense out of sort of all of the jumbly mess going on inside my own psyche. <laughs> you know, and if, a, if a song like Finishing the Hat or Being Alive from Company or whatever, and th- th- those three minutes can make perfect sense of that extremely confusing complex emotion mm. and do it in with a beautiful melody and with rhyme <laughs> and it's just it packs it all up neatly. It it just it makes it it um it makes things easier. There's like a calmness that that happens to you. It's, it's okay the order has been has been restored somehow for mm. that moment in time. It really is. It's, it's
1: incredible. It is. And, you know, you describe it really beautifully, the kind of uh, elegance and simplicity through something so complicated that can mm. be found. And the oneness and the stillness as well of uh, the moments that we find in these places, in these times when these things are done well. I mean, that's the other thing you... Mm climbed the highest heights with this, uh, went down this path of musical theatre to the places that people dream of going. But there's a part of you that didn't want to stay there. Am I right? You you chose to yeah. change agent. You mentioned Candide. I think it was around that time that you had <clears throat> done a performance of that. What was going on there if, uh, after everything you've just described, you sound like a man who wouldn't want to go near the screen, that is just happy, <laughs> <laughs> happy there in the simplicity yeah. and the elegance. Yeah.
0: What happened? I guess I became a little bit disillusioned with the musical theatre industry in London for several reasons. Well, firstly, I realised Stephen Sondheim's shows are rarely on in the West End. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't tend to sell very well. <laughs> I think was it was it a few years after Candide or before? I can't remember. The, the, the chocolate factory that I did Candide um, mm-hmm. at uh, the Maniera Chocolate Factory did a, pr- a production of Merrily We Roll Along, which was astoundingly good. I saw it about four times. They transferred to the West End and it lost a heap of money. It was like the most five star show ever and it lost tons and tons of money because it's a very 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 hard sell. You yeah. that, that type of musical theater. Unfortunately, most people just want to be entertained and they don't they don't necessarily want to have to think too much. What does
1: that feel like so, Ru, when you're in it and you're part of the thing that's losing money?
0: Oh, it's it can be very disheartening for sure. But then I also do get it. You know, like not everyone's needs are the same as mine. Like, I know I'm sort of approaching this thing and discovered this thing on an extremely existential plane. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's of grand importance to me, but it's not of grand importance to a lot of people. And that's totally okay. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a reason. You know, they, can, they just want to go see something that is going to completely distract them from the realities of their own life you mm. know and the difficulties of their lives and that's there's a place for that too so i, I guess i sort of I, I got to a point where i was looking at what was out there and thinking well, there's there's quite simply not enough musicals that, that are out there that i would want to be in
1: really um, that was the thought
0: yeah that that was one of the thoughts i also became acutely aware of a a snobbishness um, amongst uh, in regards to actors that primarily did musical theatre by casting people and things Mm -hmm. which I really didn't like very much at all you know I'd never I'd never sort of wanted to just proclaim myself as a a musical theatre performer or a sort of song and dance man or whatever. You know, that was never really my thing. I was was an actor who sung and became quite disheartened when, you know, I became aware that sort of the the attitudes regarding people like me and and, um, actors like me wasn't always particularly favourable. And I thought, well, you very rarely get a chance... In this profession, to, to take control of your life, you know a lot a lot is just written in the stars as to where you go and it's happen chance, et cetera. But I thought, well, I can take control of this thing. And I uh, specifically changed the agents because I felt as though my agent at the time wasn't able to help me make this transition. Mm-hmm. And I said to my to my agent who I'm still with now, I want to be considered more than just what I am being considered as at the moment." And he said, "Okay, well, we're, we'll we'll not be doing a musical for quite a while." I was, like, I, I was like, "Okay," but I was I was I was totally okay with that, and I understood why that was that was the case. And within a few weeks, I did my first. I, well, I was cast in my first play, which is at the Gate Theatre in Dublin. Um, it was an adaptation of Daphne de Maurier's "My Cousin Rachel," mm. and yeah, and then. A slow burner of a of a sort of um, transition, and then with that, I guess the screen stuff seemed like a natural thing. You know, again, again, I genuinely never had any ambitions as when I was a young lad to to be on TV or in films. I just I never had actually considered it, but just with the stepping stones that we were making, and not to be too crude, but you know, <laughs> you could make a bit of money doing the screen <laughs> stuff <laughs> which helps <laughs> um which really you know that's a good incentive for sure
1: well um, we're, we're gonna take a break in a moment here because this is how it works at irishman abroad we put out you know a good chunk of content for our listeners on uh, the free platforms but you bring up money there. Irishman Abroad needs to be supported <laughs> by its listeners.
0: You, know, so, you have to pay for the good stuff. The juicy stuff comes later.
1: Well, we'll, be, well, this this first half's been epic. Thanks so much for it, Fra. And come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad when we'll get into this next phase and how things are different when you go to the screen or are they the same? How do you prepare for characters for the screen and what is the process? Is the Is it it so different to prepare to be Cassie in Hawkeye versus Michael in The Ferryman? I can't wait to find out the answer. Fra, we'll talk the other side of this break over on Patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. So that's the first half of my conversation with Fraffy. As I said, come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad this week and start supporting the show. If you've enjoyed the free stuff we've given you since 2013, Maybe now's the time to treat yourself to the full back catalogue and archive. That's what you'll get. A little link that you'll drop into your podcast app and suddenly it will populate with as much Irishman abroad as you could ever care to listen to. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes going right back to day one. You'll also, every single week, get the full uncut episode and Marion McKeown on a Friday and Sonia O'Sullivan on a Tuesday with our running podcast, An Irishman Running Abroad. I'd love you to do it this January help support the show over at patreon.com forward slash Irishman abroad Brian Connolly is on sound Tina and Mikey make it all possible and uh, yeah sure I'll talk to you in the second half over on Patreon